This year's episodes of Paw Tracks feature oral history interviews recorded at reunions last May. If you have a Princeton story to tell and plan to be back on campus to attend reunions, alumni day, or for any other reason, we'd love to schedule an interview. You can contact us by email at paw at princeton.edu. That's P-A-W at princeton.edu. Some of our favorite Paw Tracks interviews feature alumni talking about the people who shaped their time at Princeton. For John Potter, class of 1965, the most influential figure was the dean of the chapel, Ernest Gordon. But it didn't start out that way. Freshman year, there was a compulsory chapel rule. You had to attend chapel or a local church half the Sundays of the year, and they had a little, you had a little card and somebody kept records somewhere. So I did that, and as many other students did, very reluctantly. And, uh, um, and my impression of the chapel and of Dean Gordon was colored by my antagonism toward the compulsory chapel rule. Sophomore year, I met Mary. Uh, of course, Princeton was all male in those days. We had, um, if somebody knew a girl at one of the other local colleges, they'd call up and say, bring a carload of your friends over. And uh, I think it was sophomore year, just after I joined uh, Elm Club, they had one of these little mixers, and they had some girls there from Trenton State College, and Mary was one of them. And we met and uh, hit it off right away and uh, got more serious as time went on, so we continued to date. And by the fall of senior year, I was ready to propose, and I did. But I had some reservations about what kind of marriage because I, th I knew I was not a believer and and yet I had this kind of culturally induced feeling I guess that uh, a, a church wedding was best you know and uh, and I didn't think Mary would want just a civil ceremony and I didn't really want one either but as I said I knew I wasn't a believer so I uh, I tried to uh, contact a number of other chaplains and there were various there were several other denominational chaplains on campus but they were out of town or you know not available or whatever and the last one i wanted to contact was was dean gordon but finally i ran out of options and uh, and so he he was the one i i gave him a call and set up an appointment with him and, uh, and went to talk to him. And this is about midway through senior year, so you know, you got all kinds of other pressures and, and, and stuff, but this was the most important thing to me right then. So it was just after Christmas break, I think, I, I went to talk to him in early January. And, um, and I went through all this stuff about I'm not a believer, and I, I think I'd taken one religion course, so I had some idea, you know, Christians believe in original sin, and oh, I can't believe in that, you know, Christians believe in miracles and supernatural I can't believe in all that stuff and uh, um, so I rambled on for a while about all the stuff I couldn't believe in and he just sat there very calmly listening to me and, uh, not interrupting and uh, but finally he, he said well now you've told me all the stuff you don't believe in so tell me tell me what you do believe in so then I spouted off all this youthful idealism. I, you know, we're going to make the world a better place. We're going to bring an end to poverty and end to war. And, you know, the world is going to be be a much better place through, uh, you know, what we can do. And uh, and then he finally said, "Well, 
you know, the things you're talking about, what you do believe in, are very similar to what Christians believe in. The only difference is you're looking to man to achieve those things. And Christians say, no, we need God. We need the Spirit of God involved. So I guess that kind of opened up my mind a little bit. I wasn't ready to <laughs> uh, change my faith at that point, but, uh, but it, it got me thinking a little bit. Gordon asked Potter if he'd read his memoir, Through the Valley of the Kwai. Well, I'd heard about this book. It came out in the early 60s, I think, probably freshman or sophomore year. And uh, it was about his experiences in World War II. And he was a British um, officer who came from Scotland and uh, was um, captured after the fall of Singapore. He, he tried with several others to escape. They were in a sailing boat trying to get across the Indian Ocean to get to Ceylon, or now Sri Lanka. And uh, they didn't make it. The Japanese, uh, Japanese tanker or some, something came upon them and captured them. Took him back to POW camps and then he spent the rest of the war in POW camps suffering terribly and the book describes the horrors of, of uh, what was done to the prisoners, how many died along the way and he nearly died. So I sat down to skim through it and I ended up reading it cover to cover because it was just so fascinating and so moving. And by the time I got to the end of the book, I just knew that Jesus Christ had a claim on my life and uh, that I belonged to him. And, you know, nobody told me how to become a Christian or anything. I just, I just knew by the time I set the book down. And um, so then later on, of course, I went back to him and said, the situation's changed. <laughs> I know. Um, um, excited about the possibility of being married in church and uh, of course talked to Mary about it. On June 19th we were married in the in the chapel by Ernest Gordon. <laughs> the story doesn't end with the wedding ceremony. Inspired by his interactions with Gordon, Potter felt a call to ministry. He applied to the Princeton Theological Seminary and received a Master's of Divinity degree. He worked outside the church, a secular job in his words, at an insurance rating company, and eventually became a pastor at two small New Jersey churches. He kept in touch with Gordon, who continued to be a role model. Last summer, John and Mary celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. Our thanks to John Potter for sharing his story with Paul. Brett Tomlinson produced this episode. The music is licensed from First Com Music. <laughs>